They say a good friend will arrive to bail you out of jail, but a great friend will be lying next to you, covered in glitter and mustard, going, Cool party, bro! I'm Brett Fish, and this is Out of the Fishbowl. Now, this episode was actually meant to be the final episode of season two, but it ended up being me talking for about an hour about just different friends that I have. And there's going to be a lot of that in this episode again as we talk about friendship because it is through our different friendships that we realize just the intricacies and the amazing mints that can be amazing mints. That sounds like a product. Anyway, the, the brilliance and fantasticness of friendship. Um, but as I was planning season three, it just kept coming back because as we saw in the previous episode, when your ship hits the fan, it is usually community or friendship that lifts you up, dusts you off and sets you on the road again, or just shows up and sits with you quietly in the darkest of dark times, being the glimmer of light that you need to be able to crawl towards. In fact, Jess C. Scott might have said it best when she said, friends are the family you choose. And so we can't always determine the nature of our friendships, but we can always be intentional about being a better friend and seeing how that plays out. And we're going to talk about that a little more in an episode that I like to call Episode 5, A Few Good Friends. Now, a famous king once wrote, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And I've seen that play out in so many different ways. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. If you have somebody that is a close friend and they say something that wounds you, something that is painful or uncomfortable or really hard to hear, then you can trust it because of the nature of your friendship. But an enemy multiplies kisses. What I've often found with people is that people tell you what you want to hear. They don't want to disappoint you. People tend to shy away from uncomfortableness, from awkward situations, from conflict. And so people will tell you that that song you're singing was amazing or that book you wrote was fantastic, even though the reality might be that it's awful. And in essence, that, that becomes an enemy because it ends up in you producing crap art and sending it out into the world. And other people that don't know you will just be honest and let you know exactly what was going on. And so what I've found is that it's important to surround yourself with people that will be honest with you in all situations. And there's this phrase, speaking the truth in love, which is really helpful because you can speak truth to people in a way that really just breaks them down and makes them feel awful. Or you can speak hard truth to people in a way that they are left with no doubt that you love them or care about them. And so this week I had a situation where I was on a WhatsApp group with a community of people and one of the guys in that group sent me a private message basically challenging me on a bunch of stuff that felt like it wasn't deserved and I, I was a bit confused and I had an interaction with him back and forth and it yeah it just left me feeling quite unsettled because I didn't think I was in the wrong but I really wanted to understand and and hear the possibility that maybe there was something I was missing and so I was having coffee with my friend Mike Cheney the next morning and I showed him the interaction on my WhatsApp. 
And he read the whole thing and basically looked at me and responded, nah, he's being ridiculous. And <laughs> that was super helpful because I know in terms of my friendship with Mike that if I was in the wrong, that Mike would have told me. And he would have told me in a way that I had no doubt that Mike loves me, cares for me. But he would have gone, dude, you were a bit over the line there or that was a bit sarcastic or that was not okay. And so – it is important. I love this phrase. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Especially if you're somebody that is wanting to be better. If you are somebody that's wanting to be the best version of you you can be, it is unhelpful to have people around you telling you that everything you do is great. And even when it's not, it is helpful to have people that will point out when you've stepped too close to a line, when you've crossed a line, when you are being a bit hectic or being a bit out of control when you've when your anger has got you into trouble, all of those kind of things, but but in a way that comes from a place of friendship and love. And what I've discovered through various friendships in my life over many years is that presence is generally greater than words, and not always, but but just somebody being there is is so much more important than somebody saying they'll be there, for starters. But even the words that someone gives you, if somebody shows up, if someone is present, if someone is there with you, that is huge. And then the other thing I've discovered is that action is, is again, generally bigger than words. And there are countless times when people have said, oh, I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to get that to you. I'll be there. And then they just don't pitch up. And the words in the moment that you're hearing the words make you feel good because you feel loved, you feel seen, you feel supported. But if the person, if the words aren't followed by action, then it can feel really alienating. It can make you feel lonely. It can make you feel rejected because in essence, that's what it is. Somebody said something and they haven't followed it up with action. So generally presence and action are bigger than words. Um, words without presence or action get old pretty quickly. And this past year and a half, I've, I've mentioned a few times that, that I've gone through a divorce. My marriage of 12 years broke down. And there was a year and a half period of that kind of playing itself out. And what I often needed more than anything was presence, a hug, a walk, a game, something to get my mind off it, something just to let somebody know or let me know that somebody was there, that somebody saw me, that they got it, but didn't feel like they needed to fix it, which they couldn't, or didn't feel like they had to say something to make it all right, which it wasn't. And so one of my best friends is a guy called Regan, who we had this kind of tradition. It wasn't regular. It was like an irregular thing. Every couple of weeks on a Friday or Saturday, he would come to my house. I had a big screen or I had a projector to be able to project on the wall and make a big screen. And we would watch Marvel. We'd watch the latest movies that he hadn't seen yet or we'd watch some of the series that he was catching up on that I'd seen. And so we'd, I'd get to watch it again with him. And he would order ribs from Spur and we'd have wine. And a little bit later, he added chocolate balls into the mix because he knows me. And and it just became this thing. We we didn't sit and have long conversations. I know I know that I, I spoke to Riggs about it a bunch, but but more often than not, it was just that thing of, hey, bud, coming on Friday, we're going to watch this thing. We're going to have good food. We're going to hang out. We're just going to have a good time. And and that was actually so valuable to me going through that time of like just difficult darkness, confusion, um, being shell-shocked. It was that, that presence of a friend. And Regan is also a friend of mine who is anytime bud and, and means it. So I know – 
that even if things are busy for him, even if things are hectic, if I need a place to stay over, if I need him to just come around, like he is somebody I know that will drop things and just pitch up. And that is, that is such a valuable thing to have in a friendship. And as I, as I focus on a few of my friends, I'm, I'm not, this isn't, the purpose of this is not to introduce you to my friends, but I'm hoping that as you hear that, you will think of your own friends that come to mind. It's like, oh, that's my Regan. Or maybe more importantly, oh, that's how I am to this person. Like, are you this kind of friend? Or, or maybe there's an area of friendship where you're lacking that you could work on. Um, that you're going to hear through this time or maybe there's something that you're going to be able to celebrate that maybe you haven't taken the time to stop and actually stop right now message that friend and go dude you always showed up for me in this way and i'm so grateful and so duncan is is my main friend from school there are a few others that i'm in a bit of contact with but duncan is the only one that i've really stayed in good contact with and i typically only see him once a week at hockey matches so we've played hockey for the last 15 20 years and because his life is incredibly busy he's got his own business he's got family three kids so much going on we we do make occasions to see each other every now and then but typically we see each other at the hockey field and we'll maybe spend time having a chat afterwards or he'll give me a call on the way home or um we connect in that way but but duncan and his wife megan invited myself and val to live with them twice we went to the States about 10 years ago, and in the months leading up to our trip away, they invited us into their home, despite having, I'm trying to think, three children. I think at the time, they might have only had the two boys. And then when we came back from the States and we're looking for a place to stay, again, we we got to live with them for a couple of months. It wasn't necessarily easy. It, was, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't less admin for them. And yet... They literally put us up in their homes. Duncan is my mate who who I can rely on for practical things, anything to do with computers, um, my Microsoft's not working, or I'm trying to figure out a new mic to get or whatever. Like I'll get hold of him, and he's always got time to help me in that way. And so, again, Duncan and my friendship looks very different to Regan and my friendship. Both are super valuable in different ways. Both are as important and it's great that they meet different needs and hopefully I meet different needs for them as well. Then there's Dreadlock Mike and Dreadlock Mike lives in Durban, which sucks, but is actually maybe a good thing because I only ever get to see Dreadlock Mike once a year, once every two years, once every three years. And he is my belly laugh guy. I don't laugh out loud much. I do laugh a lot, but usually it's inwards. I appreciate jokes. I find things funny on an inside scale. I never hang around with Dreadlock Mike without laughing out loud. And I can't even explain why he does it. We just have some kind of connection. It's probably like a naughtiness a lot of the time. He'll be showing me clips or videos or pictures that his his edgy friends have sent him. But a lot of the time, it's just it's just the vibe when we get together. I can I can just be absolutely myself. We often end up playing FIFA. It's the one time I ever play FIFA. We'll play FIFA through the night. We'll have nach music melt or nach music mixed with melted top deck. Um, we lately we started doing a road trip because he's got a, a great little sports car. We we head out and and spend the day driving around Durban, Pietermaritzburg, and go visit the German restaurant and go to all these cool places. And 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 it's just kind of the regularity of these trips. I go to Durban anytime I can because a lot of my favorite people live there, and I think it's the nature of Mike not being around every week actually. That, that it's something to look forward to. When I hang out with Dreadlock Mike, it is good time. I know it's always going to be good. I know the laughs are going to be there. I know there will be serious conversations. Um, 
Mike has this habit of making a, a statement and then I agree with him and then he spends 30 minutes arguing about why I'm wrong. And it is the funniest, most frustrating thing ever. But but we just have this weird, strange friendship that works and we just step into it as if we've been hanging out for the last couple of years. Even his dog, Bella, loves me and, and I'm not I'm not a super dog person and his dog is is not the prettiest dog in the world. Sorry, Bella. But but I love Bella. Bella loves me. And so when I go there, Bella just is all over me and, and I love it. And so that's cool. And then he married one of my ex-youth girls, um, Nancy Twin. And so it's a two-for-one offer because when I go visit Mike, I get to hang out with Nancy. And we actually overlap in a lot of the acting or improv or justice areas. And so we always have good conversations and we connect in a, in a number of different ways. And so, so Dreadlock Mike is, is this different kind of space in terms of my friendships. And he's been somebody that also during this difficult time, just every now and then be able to get hold of him on a phone call and just chat to him and, and just be able to, to speak my heart and just be open and, and know that he's not going to judge me. He's just going to let me just be however I need to be in the moment. Like, like we need somebody that we can just laugh with, that we can just be silly with, um, but also, also be serious with. Um, and the, the thing that I want to encourage you to do, again, like I'm, I'm mentioning a bunch of names that maybe mean nothing to most of you, but, but be thinking of and naming your friends and, and recognizing yourself in this as you listen. Like, am I that? Who am I that to? And I imagine that, that you're not the same kind of friend to all your friends. You probably have different groups of friends or different people that you, I don't want to say fulfill a purpose because then it sounds very kind of interactual. What's the word I'm looking for? Contractual. And, and it's not that at all, but actually you, you kind of are something different to different friends. Different friends need different things and you'll probably pitch up in different ways to different people and start like the purpose of this episode is for you to sit and reflect on your friendships where, where they are amazing and incredible and, and maybe where they are lacking and maybe where you need to step up a little bit. And then no conversation about friendship will happen without me talking about Rob Rob Lloyd, my buddy, best buddy, who sadly died in 2015 of cancer. Rob was my 3 a.m. buddy. And I was thinking of calling this episode your 3 a.m. friend because, because that is so key. Who, who is the friend that at 3 a.m. when everything goes wrong is the one on speed dial that you phone, you know they're going to pick up, you know they're going to drive right there and, and pick you up. And and in this last year and a half that's been so difficult and dark for me, I really missed Rob because I know more than anyone else, Rob would have showed up. And so there was a Rob-shaped hole in my life. And I've got so many good friends and people have been so amazing and fantastic during this time. But, but there were so many times when I was just aware, especially when loneliness set in, especially when it was just me watching series on the couch again, um, where I, I know Rob would have just pitched up. He wouldn't have tried to fix things. He, wouldn't have, he would have had wise things to say, but he would have spent most of the time just being there and just hanging out. And so, so I missed Rob. Why is Rob my 3 a.m. friend? Well, there was a time a number of years ago, 10, 15 years ago, where a bunch of us were at this group thing. And I can't even remember. The fact that it was these three particular people was strange because we were friends, but we weren't kind of close friends or anything like that. But myself and Candy and Travis ended up thinking it would be a great idea to go and toilet paper the deacon's house from the church that we were all part of. 
And so there was some party or something happening at Candy's house and um, we, we thought that was a great idea. So we, we had black clothes. I don't know if we planned it in the moment because I can't imagine how we just all had black clothes on. But somehow maybe we planned it in the future and then did it then. But I feel like it was this idea that we just did. And somehow we had black clothes and, and a balaclava or beanies or whatever. And then we got some, some black face paint to do like camouflage stuff, not black face stuff. Um, but, but had like the stripes on our face and, and we thought, cool. And this was like one o'clock in the morning. We are going to go to Lakeside. These are pretty cool people. We're going to toilet paper, which isn't even a thing that happens in South Africa. This is something we've seen from American movies, I think, where you just hoi toilet paper over the cars and over the bushes and everyone has a good laugh about it in the morning or something like that. It's kind of feels like a university kind of prank vibe. But anyway, somehow, and there was no alcohol involved. Somehow we just decided this is a great idea. I feel like Candy's dad actually played a part in convincing us, but, but we weren't, we weren't, make him guilty but i feel like there was like some influence there as well anyway we go out we do this thing we are putting toilet paper around the cars we we have parked our car just around the corner so it's out of the way um backpack with all the stuff is on the driveway next to the house that we're doing and the car keys are lying next to that busy doing this stuff and then the wife decides at that point in time in the middle of the night she needs to go to the toilet so well, she probably didn't decide it but she goes to the toilet she's in the bathroom and she sees something happening out in the garden and just screams. Now, even looking back, context of South Africa, this is not a great idea to be doing stuff in people's gardens in the middle of the night. But anyway, back at the time, we're doing it. We hear this blood-curdling scream. I run, Travis runs, we pick up the bags and everything that are, are next to us and we just run around the corner. Candy only had one thing to grab, which was the car keys, which she didn't grab. So we down the side street, we down another side street, we are out of breath, we are pooping ourselves, we are so scared. People are outside, we hear dogs barking, things are going on, we are like, Phew, okay, we made it out, everything's cool, where are the car keys? Like, um, yeah, about that. And so we realize that the car keys have been left on the driveway. They've obviously been found. People are wandering the streets. Fortunately, no one has found us. And they eventually, it dies down, quietens down. It's now three o'clock in the morning and we are sitting wearing black <laughs> stripes on our faces with cars that have laptops and cameras in them. So we couldn't just kind of figure out a way home and just leave stuff there. It's like, no, this is pretty bad. And so I decide Rob Lloyd, he's the guy. I phone him up and in probably one of the most awful things I've ever done to him my whole life, he answers the phone three o'clock in the morning and my first words to him are, oh, Rob, you couldn't sleep either. <laughs> Rob gets up, drives to Candy's house, gets the spare car keys without even question, comes and rescues us. And the thing about Rob is that wasn't an anomaly. That's who Rob was. Rob was the guy who would pitch up. Rob was the guy who would serve each other. There's a verse in the Bible, serve one another in love. Rob epitomized that. I remember there was a time when I used to hold these meetings and I hate meetings, but I used to hold like meetings for people that were feeling victimized from the church or they felt like they, they, they couldn't be part of a church. And I try to create a space where people could just come for engagement and conversation. And Rob pitched up with his buddy Moritz and they were both wearing white shirts that he'd made into not a meeting shirts. Like he literally made a shirt just to support and encourage and, and Rob would do those things. 
Um, the last memory or one of the last big memories I have of Rob is my 40th birthday, him and Duncan that I spoke about. And another friend, MJ, had practiced this song that I knew nothing about, a Mumford song, and they performed it for my 40th birthday, changed the lyrics a little bit to to relate to me. And they had all these instruments that they'd made out of pizza boxes. It was it was hilarious and chaotic and crazy. But But that was Rob. Rob was the guy who was going to pitch up. He was going to put his heart into everything. He was going to always be there. But he was the guy you could call at 3 o'clock in the morning. And so the question to you is, are you that for anyone? Somebody has a crisis. Do they know that whatever the thing is, no questions asked, you will be there. You will pick them up. You will pay the bail. You will get them out. Do you have people that know that you are that person? Are you that person? We all need a Rob. And I like to think that I, I'm, I'm Rob for some people. I like to think that people can call. Maybe it's just because I don't really sleep a lot. <laughs> people can call me all through the night and certain people know that whatever happens, you call me and I'll come and pick you up. And then I think of my mate Wayne, who through this darkness, through a lot of this obviously is related to this last year and a half of my life because that's what's in sharp focus right now. But Wayne was somebody that had gone through a similar version to what I went through a year before me. And yet when I was going through all this chaos, he made so much time and intention for me in terms of being intentional about calling me, checking in, how am I doing, making time to spend with me. And, and so that was incredible. Despite all his own stuff, Wayne said, Hey, I know what you're going through and I want to be there for you as much as I can. And I'm very aware that an episode on, on friendship is going to get me into a lot of trouble because I have so many friends. I am, if there's one thing that I'm most grateful for in life, it is the quality and incredibleness of the people in and around my life. And so if I mention 20 names here, there are 80 names that I haven't even mentioned. If I mention 80, there are another 150. And so this list is not exclusive, inclusive. One of those words that I mean, it is not all encompassing. There are people that are not on here. This is not my top 10 list of friends. These are just some of the friends that kind of came to mind for different areas. And even as I'm recording this, I'm recording it in exilic music studios with a guy called Jeremy Curries, who is a mate of mine that I've known for 20, 30 years. And yet Jeremy and I have a kind of friendship where we probably didn't see each other for like 10 years, maybe. And yet, when we saw each other, when we found ways to start connecting and just having this opportunity to come meet with him every week while I'm recording this series, there's that sense of stepping into something that was there. There's a level of trust and a level of knowing this person where despite not having so much interaction, there's that knowledge of, hey, I know Jeremy and Jer- I, I, hope, I hope that the feeling is mutual. You can't see him nodding furiously in the background or tipping his hand like so-so. <laughs> But but Jeremy is somebody, and I love those kind of friendships, the kind of friendships where the bonds you have are so strong and secure that you cannot see them for three years, five years, ten years. But when you meet up, there's no kind of sense of needing to catch up or reestablish. And I've got a lot of mates from that. And a lot of those are from Christian camps, actually, Baptist summer camp that I used to do once a year in Kimberley. So many mates, you'd meet together with a thousand young people and you'd only see your leader friends once a year. And yet you'd step into those friendships as if they were ongoing and consistent. Another friend who comes to mind, Dan Riddell, who's in Joburg. And recently, last time I was up in Joburg, I phoned him up and asked if I could come stay stay with him. Hadn't seen him for three years, five years. But we have the kind of relationship that we just step in, we laugh, we have good times, we share good clips, and we just have a jaw. 
Then when I think of Mandy, Mandy is my best friend from college. So I was a teacher's training college and, and Mandy and I connected um, through a lot of the SCA stuff we did at the time. We used to have a prayer meeting that we ran that was usually just her and me three mornings at seven o'clock in the morning. And, and we developed a friendship that is also not super regular. It's kind of an every few months, let's check in and see how the other person is doing. And yet Mandy is someone that also has a lot of kind of chaos and turmoil and, and busyness going on in her life all the time. But she always makes time to reach out to me and is usually the one that will kind of reach out to me first. Hey, how's it going? Let's do coffee. Let's catch up. There's that consistency that even if it's not a regularity, there's a consistency of friendship. I know she loves me. I know she cares deeply for me. I know that she is interested in my life and what's happening. And so she will constantly make the move to to reconnect to catch up to 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 make sure that we know what's going on in each other's lives and then last night i was chatting to one of my ex-youth guys from stellenbosch fazile fazile is an amazing young guy probably not even that much of a young guy anymore i think of all my youth people as young people but but he must be mid-20s already and fazile is is somebody that is kind of like what I described with Mandy, but almost exclusively so. And I said to him last night, I feel bad about it. And he was like, no, Mr. B, it's all good. Um, but but Fazile always checks in on me. Hey, Mr. B, how are you doing? And I love it. He's the only person in life that calls me Mr. B. And so we have that personal personal nickname. Um, we call him Jazzy Fizzle. And, and he was in my youth in Stellenbosch for seven years when I was there. And we've maintained connection. Um, and he used to come on camps with me and we used to find different ways of connecting. And every now and then we, we kind of reconnect and, and meet up and, and go hang out. But Fazila has been amazing in terms of being the one to always reach out to me. And I need to be better at actually checking out in with him. And so last night was actually one of the less frequent times of me messaging him. I was obviously thinking that I'm going to be busy speaking this podcast today. And I was like, hey, Fazila, I need to reach out to you for a change because you always do this so amazingly to me and thank you. And and he just affirmed the friendship that we have and different things that we'd had. And so it doesn't, I don't think, feel one way from his side. It feels mutual. And and we'll get to that in a moment because I'm going to be looking at this idea of of giving versus getting when it comes to friendships. And then I've got to I've got to mention Keegan Davids and and Charlie Charlton. Because those are two of my friends from more modern, recent church spaces that, that have been ama they're amazing young leaders, not even again so young, mid-30s or low-30s young leaders that are phenomenal. And Keegan and I are busy helping run a youth group together, but we have connected in a number of different spaces. I'm on the board of an organization called SJLA that he heads up. And for me to be in a space with Keegan is, is just a gift every time. He speaks such wisdom. He has such care and compassion for people. He is somebody that truly more than most people I know, know what it means to mentor young people and mentors a number of them into kind of a mentoring process with other people. He's amazing in terms of soccer stuff that he does. He flies across to the States to do soccer camps and he is always involved in a whole bunch of different things, doing phenomenal stuff. But, but when you're one-on-one -on -one with Keegan, you get his full attention. You get a sense that he sees you, that he's passionate about you, that he wants you to be thriving and how can this moment kind of link to you thriving better. And so Keegs is someone that I just you know, have so much love and respect for and yeah, he even last night he messaged me just to just to mention a thing about friendship that I'd I'd tweeted on the Twitter and 
yeah, there's that sense of of leaning in. There's there's a comfort when you have friendships like Keegan, where where it doesn't take work or effort. Any time you spend with them, you just walk away feeling like a better person, and you just want to spend more time with them. And then Charlton or Charlie is my my blood donation buddy. He's also somebody who I think more often than me kind of connects with me. We're both quite busy and we both kind of sporadically connect with each other. But we started giving blood together at at Blue Root Mall. We we synced our blood donation times and and it kind of got a bit unsynced through through one of us getting COVID recently and so we've been a bit staggered but we we're trying to meet up and and get that going again. But just that mate that you can you can call to go and lie down in a bed with you while people jab you with needles. Um, we we all need a friend like that, right? Um, Charlie is somebody who likes to think outside of the box and he likes to challenge authority. And that's kind of a role that I've had in many spaces in my life. And so to see another young leader come up who, who has that kind of passion and that kind of boldness and sometimes maybe acts in some of the ways that I used to, which now I might think differently about. And so it's, it's so interesting seeing it happen in him. And, and do I, do I say, whoa, hold back or do I celebrate it and, and encourage him? And I find that I learn so much about him or f- so much from him in, in the ways that he challenges things and often does a much better job of, of really just being able to name what is wrong and and name the questions that that the systems and structures are upholding in terms of an area of injustice, whether it's to do with the homeless or or to do with church stuff that that we connect on, or the marginalization of people or wealth versus poverty. Like Charlie is somebody that makes me think and challenges my thinking and challenges the way that I challenge other people. And so I'm super grateful to have him in my life. And as I said, there's so many more. Let me just finish with two more and I'll probably think of another 20 as we're going. But Sam and Debbie were, well, are two of my longest platonic woman friends now, I guess. They started as girlfriends, um, not girlfriends. Um, But I met them on Baptist Summer Camp 100 years ago. And actually, fun story is that I met a friend of theirs, Kathy Gordon. We traveled on a bus to summer camp the one year and then we connected and that was back in the day of writing letters to people. And so I used to write kind of paper letters to Kathy and we stayed friends for a long time. And then she introduced me to Sam and Debbie who have become two of my favorite people in the world. Debbie also lives in Durban, which is why I always try to get back to Durban. And Sam is now living in New Zealand. And so we've recently reconnected through Zoom and WhatsApp and a shared love of of crazy, funny TV series and things like that. But the two of them probably, I don't even know how to describe it. I would say they are my biggest champions. They have championed me and cheerled me and supported and loved. And, and we just have a bond that has always been plutonic. And I know people like have questioned about that. Can a guy and a girl be in a relationship without it ever being something? And yet from day one, I think it was super clear and obvious that that it was that. And so it never became complicated or confusing or anything like that. I mean, there is a there is a, a, a fun or not so fun story where they were both convinced that a friend of theirs was into me. And then I got convinced that she was and then she wasn't. And it just ended up pretty awkward and embarrassing. But we won't go into that. Um, but But Sam and Debbie... And then Debbie married Barry, and Barry is now a really good mate of mine. And, and that is another good thing, to have friends who are couples and you really get on with both of them is phenomenal. So any time I go to Durban, I end up staying with Debbie and Barry. And we 
they actually also, just like Dreadlock Mike, maybe it's a Durban thing, they get me to laugh out loud. Um, we, we really have good time together. Debbie is, is such an amazing leader in the church of young people, just in every possible way, and especially in areas of justice. She lives it out, and she, she is somebody who I think more than most people I know reinvents herself. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but looks at the way she is or the way she's done things or the way the institution she's part of has done things and says we can do better. How do we do better? Who are the people we can get in to teach us how to do better? And so I've seen Debbie just learn and embrace learning and invite learning more than probably anyone I know and then change and transform and stay in the same spaces but be different in those spaces and carry people along with her. She's a phenomenal leader of people and and one of the most amazing women I think I know. And super amazing that it's Debbie and Barry. And so we hang out together. And then Sam and I just have this great connection. Um, it's also a lot of laughter stuff. We have a lot of private jokes and stories that go way back and just incredible stories that will mean nothing to you. But we just I just say a word to her or a phrase comes up or an animal and we will both be in hysterics knowing that exact moment that that thing happened. And so she was also super supportive to me through this last year and a half. Just Just knowing that there's somebody who just totally loves you. And I think, especially because in some ways my identity took a bit of a knock, um, when you go through something as hectic as, as divorce, this thing of a person not any longer wanting to be with you, there's a sense of identity, like what about me? What did I do? Who am I? What is wrong with me? And Sam has been one of the people that has just been amazing in terms of affirming who I am and helping me try to believe the things about me that I used to believe were true and believe that that I am that person, that that there is goodness there, not to say that there aren't things that I need to work on or fix or get better at, but but just amazing to have people in your corner that you know will will just back you no matter what. And not to say that they will not the no matter what actually, because if there's if there's rubbish, if there's crap, if you're stepping out of line, these are all friends that will call me on it. They won't allow me to kind of disintegrate into madness or be chaotic or whatever. They will call me on it. And and I know that calling out comes in love. And so it's amazing and incredible. And so we, we have that phrase, friends who are family. And in these podcasts, I like to talk about Jesus. You know, I'm somebody who tries to follow Jesus. And there's an amazing story about Jesus, or I find it amazing. And I think it's one of the lesser known stories about Jesus or, or one that like People don't tend to preach on this or think about it much. And I think it happens when Jesus has just healed this dude who has been lowered through the ceiling. So there's a paralyzed guy. Four of his friends come to Jesus, but there's a crowd around Jesus. They can't get to him. And here's a lesson on friendship. <laughs> they, they climb onto the roof of this building and make a hole in the roof to lower their friend down with the hopes that Jesus can heal this guy. And Jesus ends up healing him. But, but what kind of friends to, to risk embarrassment, to, to be kind of single focused in their intention? We're going to do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. And so Jesus has just done this big miracle or whatever. And people, the crowds come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, your family are outside. And Jesus responds by saying something along the lines of, this is my family, my, my brothers and sisters here, the people that, that do the work of the father, like this is my family. And so this idea of, of friends who are family and, and the people I've listed now and 20, 30, 50, 100 other people 
are for me friends that have become family. And, and that is such a valuable thing because family is thrust upon you. You can't decide who you're related to. Hopefully, you can figure out relationship with them. But, but friends are family that you choose. And that is amazing. And, and take a moment now to think, who is that for you? Who are your friends who actually are your family? They just feel like family. It just feels like home when you're hanging out with them. You don't have to put on effort. You don't have to put on masks. You don't have to be anyone else. Who you are is great. They're always inspiring you to be someone better, but they are family. And then the flip side of that for me is family who are friends. So you don't get to choose your family, but on those occasions when family gets to be friends, that is a beautiful thing. I've got two sisters, my older sister Sue, two years older than me, and my younger sister Dawn, who's eight years younger than me. And when she was at school, we used to be best friends. We used to hang out in her bedroom after she'd get home from school and we'd lie on the bed and chat about what's going on. I'd often do her punishment when it was like written out stuff because I could write creative funny stuff and we'd talk about everything that was going on and we used to be like super, super, super tight when she was at school. And our friendship often came through closeness, through personality. We're both a bit wild and crazy and weird and out there and passionate. And now she lives in Durban. So there's been a bit of a gap just because she's not present all the time. And so we make the most of any time we get to hang out. And as I said, that's why I always head to Durban when I can, because most or a lot of the really significant people live there. And so any chance I get to, I go there and I hang out with her and her family. And, and so with her, it was closeness, personality, craziness. We both played hockey. Um, we both did kind of youth group, church stuff. There was a lot of connection. Whereas my older sister got married and moved away first to Joburg and then to the States a long time ago. And so we were actually disconnected for most of most of our life. I used to joke about her as my kind of secret sister because most of the people that knew me during that time knew Dawn and myself. And then I'd mention Sue and they'd be like, what, there's another one? Um, and she wasn't really in the space because she was overseas. And then what's been interesting with her, and I won't go into specifics, but, but it's been through adversity um, that, that her and I have become so much better connected. And I'd say really well connected. I'd say like she's really one of my best friends now. And, and it's been through two main things. And one of them was this whole divorce situation where she was a voice who was far away that was able to to speak truth, to be able to listen, to just be a neutral voice into my life and just be able to kind of unpack everything and unwrap it. And, and she was super supportive to me during all that time. And then there was something else that happened in her life where I was able to kind of be a voice and an ear and and just be a listening space. And, and it sucks that, that we've become good friends through adversity. But when I look back and I look at the, the level of our friendship now and almost like every, almost every day we, we are interacting on WhatsApp, but every week and involved in each other's lives and interested in what's going on and all those kind of things. And, and so in that sense, I don't – I'm not against the fact that it took adversity for us to get there. I'm just glad that we got there. And so two very different friendships, but, but both – a case of family who are friends. Family aren't necessarily friends. It's not something you should take for granted. But but for some of us, when when our family can be our friends, that is incredible. And so let's let's look at this idea of giving versus getting because I think people have different perspectives, and and I think it is important to look at this because there are some people that just give all the time, and so if you are friends with them, they're going to be giving all the time, and it's one way. 
And then there are other friends who will just be receiving the whole time. And so they're always just taking. They're always just taking and, and you find that you are always the one giving to them. And, and people might have different opinions on who you should be friends with and who you shouldn't be friends with. But my suggestion in this case is that it's probably a healthy thing to have both and to have a balance. So your best type of friendships will generally be those where you are giving and receiving. I think that is probably the healthiest model. But because of circumstances and because of, of context and when you see friends, there might be some friends that actually you are just in the giving role and that's okay. I don't think it's a problem. I've got certain friends that the only time I see them, I'm generally giving more than I'm receiving. But their context is different and maybe they're in a space where they're giving in terms of all of their friendships and they just need one space where somebody is actually giving to them. And then I've got other friends where actually I'm getting all the time and it feels like I'm not giving much at all and I'm receiving so much from them. And I could feel bad about that and I could try to do better and there's certain times when I can. But actually in some cases that's okay because they are somebody that gets from other spaces. And so I would suggest that the main bulk of your friends are going to be people where there's that balance of giving and receiving the whole time, but that it's okay that for some people you actually give a little bit more or you give a lot more. And for other people, you get a lot more. I think balance is so key in that. And then this is something that I would like to address. And and I'd love you to, to just listen to this and think, does this relate to me? Is this something I need to work on? Because it can be something that, that makes friendships hard. And, and it's this idea of listening. And so I've got a couple of friends who I love deeply. But if I spend an hour with them, I will likely have spoken for five, maybe 10 minutes tops. And so it's not through bad intention. It's not something that they're even aware of. And it might be because the rest of their life is, is so hectic or whatever that, that when I spend time with them, it will just be them speaking the whole time and it will be all about them. Now, these are people that I really love, but it gets tiring to be in that space sometimes when, when all of the time – Almost all of the time, the focus is on them and there's, there's not time and care taken to, to listen to you and to kind of seek more of that balance of friendship. And as I said, like I think it's unintentional. I don't think it's a malicious thing at all. I think there are people that are just unaware of this. And so this is the question that I, I, want, to, I want us all to sit with and I need to be holding this in all of my friendships because they, they don't all happen in the same way and there might be friendships where this is something I need to hear right now. And I need to be, oh, yeah, that's right. Are you aware of the time that you speak versus the time that you listen? So take some pause on this. And, and, and we've seen it in, in conversations around the business table where you've got men and women in a business. And, and people have actually timed how much time are men speaking and how much time are women speaking. And in that context, you wouldn't say, oh, it's a patriarchal environment or it's sexist or whatever. But if you look at the figures, you go, oh. Oh, okay, that's happening. And none of the people in that meeting, well, I think the woman would be very much aware of it. None of the men in that meeting would leave the meeting thinking only men spoke in the space. And, and so I would encourage you almost to do an experiment of watching yourself in, in, in circumstances. If you're sitting at the family dinner table, maybe even set a timer, have a little piece of paper, set a timer, make it, make it formal, make it rigid, make it weird. I don't know. But, but, but look at how much time each person speaks. 
And if somebody is speaking 90% and the other four people are speaking 10% between themselves, then there's a problem. And if it's you, then that's a problem you need to address. Are you aware of the time you speak versus the time that you listen? Listening is a gift we give to other people. And so if we are dominating the time by speaking the whole time, and especially if we just speak about our stuff the whole time, we are robbing them of the gift of actually giving them the chance to speak and giving them the chance to open up and asking questions and then listening to the questions. And so going again back to that thing of balance. Another key thing, and I realize this is becoming a long episode, but but friendship is such a an important thing. So I hope you're going to stick around. And and this is another aspect that is the myth of friendship is that online friendship is a thing. I know the online spaces are weird and I know social media, there's so much going on there. It's so complicated and diverse and crazy and, and, and challenging. But but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that online friendship is a thing. And if I'm just sitting here, names that come to mind are Arno. And Arno, and I'm probably saying his name wrong, Arno, sorry, man, is a guy that I met on the Twitter. And then last year when I flew up to Joburg twice, I met him for reels in the flesh for the first time. And he actually drove me around for most of my trip from Pretoria to Joburg. He invited me to stay at a place where he was house sitting. And it was the first time we'd met. But we'd been friends on social media. We'd been friends on the Twitter for a number of years. And so there was that sense that I knew him. And when I met him in real life, he was the person that I knew. Robin Porteous, who now probably has a different last name because she just got married. But Robin is somebody who I have learned so much from in terms of the justice spaces, in terms of fighting for women and fighting against GBV and all those kind of things. And again, she was somebody that I knew for a long time on the Twitter and somebody who has received a lot of kind of troll damage, troll attack, uh, vitriol, all of those things for speaking honestly and truthfully and about issues that she cares about. And it was such a privilege to be able to meet her last year for the first time. And it really was like stepping into an old friendship. Like we'd been friends online for quite a while. I think of Hani Detoy, who's one of my dearest friends and didn't even mention her in this list, but she's somebody I could speak about for so long. We were friends online for a while. And then we met at a at a race workshop. And since then, we've been working together. She invited me to do Partners for Possibility. We have collaborated. We've done race conversations, all these kind of things. And, and there was no difference from the person that I met online. And so, sure, a lot of people online are fake. Sure, there's a lot of masks. Sure, a lot of people are trying to be something. But if you spend enough time with people online over a long period of time, eventually the truth of who they are will leak through if they are trying to hide. But what I found is that there are a lot of genuine people, authentic people online who are themselves. And that seems to naturally come out. If you are somebody who's trying to be authentic, you will you will naturally connect to them. I'm thinking of Andre and Carol Flock. I'm thinking of so many Hassan Abada. I'm thinking of so many other names of people that just come to mind that every day are just there for a greeting or a friendly chat. Robin, oh, Farouk, they're just so many, so many people. And apologies to any names I pronounced wrong because that's awful. But online friendship can be a thing. And in fact, those who sponsored this, this podcast season, this season the idea was let's go into studio. Let's have better sound. And I was willing to pay for studio time. And then I thought I'll do the editing and the post-production myself. And I put it out to the Twitter and said, hey, who wants to help fund this thing? And a number of people came together. And some of you are listening right now and said, hey, we're going to support this thing. And so 
Twitter of friendships, people that I've never met before said, hey, we back you. We think this is important. We think this is necessary. And they have sponsored this season, the editing and the post-production, everything that goes on behind the scenes. So I couldn't have done it without you. And I think the last thing that I want to speak about is that there are benefits of positive peer pressure. We often hear about negative peer pressure, but – in online spaces, in terms of the people we surround ourselves with in real life, when there's positive peer pressure, it can be such an incredible thing. It can lead to hope and inspiration, to courage, to kindness, to accountability, to action. So many good things come out of positive peer pressure. And so peer pressure needs to stop being seen as a negative thing. It can be that. But the ants outnumber the crickets. When, when good people get together or people with good intentions and good values start connecting and start working together for good, then it can be an amazing thing. And so I want to encourage you to surround yourself with people who make you a better version of yourself. If I had to sum up this conversation around friendship, the lists of, of names that I've mentioned, so many different people that connect with me in different ways and, and fulfill different needs or different aspects of friendship – People who make you a better version of yourself. How do I get good friends? If, if you're saying to me, how do I get good friends? The answer is only be a good friend, be a better friend. And, and that sounds cheesy. It sounds Disney. Maybe it sounds a bit, I don't know. It's, it's my experience that that is true. That as I've tried to be good friends to people, I've looked around and just discovered that I have a wealth of incredible friendships around me. Many that don't feel deserved, many that feel unearned. But as you are constantly trying to be a better friend to people, it tends to be the thing that shows up. If you're a jerk, you'll probably find that you're surrounded by jerks. And so this whole thing of you can't do anything to suddenly have a bunch of best friends or better friends. You can't suddenly kind of create that. But what you can always do work on is yourself. When you look in the mirror, how can I be a better friend? Am I a 3AM friend? Am I a belly laugh friend? Am I a practical needs friend? Am I the person that's going to pull the food chain together when my friend is having a baby so that they don't have to make meals for a week? I can work on who I am as a friend. And if I'm on social media spaces, be real, be authentic, be yourself because you will attract other people that are real and authentic and are wanting to make the world a better place. There are a lot of bad quotes about friendship online. I read through a bunch of quotes to try and find something to use for the show. And there are a lot that are just super cheesy, but also a lot that are just not true as well. And I'm not really a nap person, but I know a lot of people who are. And I feel like this quote sums up friendship so well with those people in mind. And it goes like this. Real friendship is when your friend comes over to your house and then you both just take a nap. Or maybe this one, which resonated even more with me. Find a weirdo like you and never let them go. And I know my friend Sam in New Zealand is listening to that and just cheering because she knows it's her. And Dreadlock Mike knows it's him and Keegan and others. Find a weirdo like you and never let them go. And I know I said the last thing, but let me, let me close off with this thing that friendships – aren't always forever. This is, this is something I've been struggling with and something that I'll leave you with to think about, to reflect on, that friendships aren't always forever. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's hard. And I have one 
that I'm struggling with at the moment. And I'm trying to figure out what is the okay response. And kind of the two doors that I, or the two options I sit with is like an open door approach versus a chasing approach. So if you've got a friend and in that friendship, you are doing what feels like a hundred percent of the friending, you are always the one sending messages or inviting or doing all the work and stuff. And that other person who was somebody that had a balanced friendship with you. They were inviting you. They were starting conversations. They were connecting, all of that. But but that, for whatever reason, has has stopped. And so it feels like you are putting all the effort into that friendship. A lot of people would say it's time to walk away from that friendship. And that is, I guess that's a valid option. But I think for me, there's there's also this question of, that feels almost like a retaliation. Yeah, you're being a bad friend, so I'm going to be a bad friend, and and it's justified. And I think there are cases when people are bad friends and walking away is the best thing you can do to protect yourself. But also I wonder if there's there's a story where, where somebody years from now responds looking back at, at me in the situation because I refused to just let that person walk away if I choose that route. And maybe maybe it doesn't feel fair that I'm putting in all the time and effort at the moment. But maybe maybe that person doesn't have capacity to. Maybe there's context. Maybe there's other things I don't know or whatever. And and there's there's one way that the story plays out where actually the best way that I can be a friend is to con- continue to show up regardless of, of what I'm receiving, regardless of what might feel like rejection or might feel like the person's not interested or, or maybe they don't even want to be friends. Like, like maybe one of the answers, one of the ways to go forward is just to be like, well, I'm going to be a good friend regardless and, and just continue to make connection, continue to invite, continue to not in a way that becomes overwhelming when it, if, it's, if it's obvious this person doesn't want to be friends with you, then... Don't force your friendship on them. But in a way that if there is a time when that person looks around and, and, and is desiring the friendship with you, they can go, oh, wow, the door is still open. And I think, I think with me, I kind of land because I'm not sure, sure what to do in that case. And, and I know that having the conversation with that friend will make it a thing, even if it's not a thing, if that makes sense. Like, why is our friendship in trouble? Oh, is our friendship in trouble? And then just naming it. <laughs> puts it in that space where, where it could just come down to busyness or this or that or whatever. And so I think where I land on that is this idea of the open door that if, if, if a friend walks away, then there are times when, when I'll be like, okay, you can walk away. But my door is always open. And so if there's a moment where you turn around and you want to be friends, then, then I will welcome you with open arms and, and renew that friendship. And I think, I think that's somewhere where I land with most friendships and with most relationships with people, that even if there's someone that's hurt you or whatever and, and walked away, like if there's that moment of them wanting to make peace, wanting to make right, I really want my door always to be open. But I think the question now is, do I continue pursuing or do I step back a little and just keep the door open? And if that friendship doesn't happen anymore, then so be it. But... But I really, I really want to get it right in terms of what I'm offering, in terms of what kind of a friend I'm being. Because maybe I am the one with the capacity and maybe I am the one that just needs to continue showing up. And so I hope that friendship is something that, that you will give time and attention and passion to. Because for me, during one of the hardest times of my life, it was friendship and community that kept me going. And I really want that to be true of other people. I want other people's story 
to be when, when things were so hard, when things really sucked, when everyone else deserted me, Brett Fish showed up. Brett Fish was there. Brett sent a meal. Brett took me out to a movie. Brett showed me dodgy British comedy clips, whatever it was. I want to be that kind of friend to other people. Not so that I can have people be that kind of friend to me. It's not, it's not transactional. But I've appreciated it and, and valued it every time that my friends have shown up for me. And so I know what it's like when things are going bad or when you're lonely for, for friends to be there. And, and so I really want to just try and be the kind of friend that, that can show up when the people around me are needing the same. And so every day when I look in the mirror, one of the questions that goes through my mind is, how can I be a better friend today? Who, who is somebody that I haven't contacted for a while that I'll just send a WhatsApp through or a voice note? How can I keep those connections going? And who do I need to spend time with, have coffee with, invite around for a meal? The best way, I think, the best way to make good friends is to be a good friend. And so I hope that you are going to go and be good friends or be better friends. Find a weirdo like you and never let them go or head over to a friend's house and just both take a nap. And let that be a sign of this connection that, that just says, I see you. This is real. You are valued. You are important. You mean a lot to me. Shout out to all of my friends that, that have listened to this episode. If you heard your name mentioned or if you didn't, there are so many of you I didn't say. But I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. And I hope that I can be a better friend to you. <laughs>